Welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a math podcast. I'm Evelyn Lamb, one of your hosts, and here's your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. It's been a while. I, I haven't seen your smiling face in a while, Evelyn. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm... I've started um, experimenting more with home haircuts. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, I, I can. It's, so but... it's a little, little longer on top and it's uh, yeah. more, more of a high and tight thing going here. This is, mm -hmm. yeah, all right. It looks good. Yeah, it's been kind of fun. And it, like, depending on how long I go between washing it, it has like different properties. So sure. it, it's very, it's like material science over here too. So well, well, you probably yeah, can't, a lot of fun. You probably can't tell, but I've gone from a goatee to a plague beard and oh. and also i've let my hair grow a good bit longer i mean mm -hmm. there's certain now that i'm in my 50s there's less of it than there used to be but uh <laughs> but i am letting it grow longer and and uh you know because it's winter right yeah Even oh in, yeah your florida winter it's probably like what 73 it, degrees it there? is 66 today it's chilly oh Wow, yeah. yeah Gosh. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are very happy uh, to invite Ty Danae Bradley to the podcast. Hi, Ty Danae. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, so I am currently a postdoc at X. Uh, people may be more familiar with its former name, Google X. Uh, Prior to that, I recently finished my PhD at the CUNY Graduate Center early, uh, earlier this year. And I also enjoy writing about math on a website called Mathema. Yes, and the, the E of that is a three if you're trying to spell it. Yeah, M-A-T-H-3-M-A, -A. that's right. I pronounce yeah. it Mathema. Some people say Mathrema, but you know. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like saying Mathrema in my head, but yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess... Not to not to sound rude, but what does X want with a category theorist? Oh, that's a great question. So yeah, for, first I might say for all of the real category theorists listening, I may humbly not refer to myself as a category theorist. I'm more of like an avid fan of category theory. But you wrote a um, book. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. Um, no, I really enjoyed category theory. I guess I'll say so at X, I work on a team um, of folks who are using ideas from now this may sound left field, but they're using ideas from physics to tackle problems in machine learning. Mm -hmm. And when I was in graduate school at CUNY, my research was using ideas in mathematics, including category theory to sort of tackle similar problems. And so you can see how those could kind of go hand in hand. And so now that I'm at X, I'm really just kind of continuing the same research interests I had, uh, but you know, in this new environment. Okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, mostly we've had academics on the podcast. We have had a few people who work in other industries, but it's, it's nice to uh, see what's out there. Like even, uh, a very abstract field can uh, get you an applied job yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, um, of course, we did invite you here to talk about your job, but we also invited you here to ask what your favorite theorem is. Okay. Thank you for this question. I'm so excited to, to talk about this, but I will say I tend to be very enthusiastic about lots of ideas in mathematics at lots of different times. And so my favorite theorem or result usually d depends on like the hour of the day, like whatever sure. I'm reading <laughs> at the time. I'm like, this is so awesome. But uh, today I thought it'd be really fun to talk about uh, the singular value decomposition in linear algebra. Awesome. Yeah. So um, 
I will say when I was an undergrad, I did not learn about SVD. So I think my, my undergrad class stopped just before that. And so mm-hmm. I was, you know, I had to wait to learn about all of its wonders. <laughs> so for, for people who are, who are listening, maybe I could just say, um, it's a fundamental result that says the following, simply put, um, any matrix whatsoever can be written as a product of three matrices. Um, and these three matrices have nice properties. Two of them, the ones on the left and the right, are unitary matrices or orthogonal if your matrix is real. Uh, and then the middle matrix is a diagonal matrix. And the terminology is if you uh, look at the columns of the two unitary matrices, these are called the singular vectors of your original matrix. And then the entries of the diagonal matrix, those are called the singular values of that matrix. So. Um, you know, unlike uh, something like an eigen decomposition, you don't have to make any assumptions about the matrix you started with. It doesn't have to like have some special properties for this to work. It's just a blanket statement. Any matrix can be factored in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, as we were saying before we started recording, I also did not actually encounter this in any classes. And, Nor did I. Um, yeah, it was. It's like something I've heard of, but not never really looked into because I didn't ever do linear algebra, like you know, as part of my thesis or something like that. Um, but yeah, I like. Okay, so it seems a little surprising that there aren't any extra restrictions on what kind of matrices can do this. Um, so does that? Yeah, like why is that? <laughs> I, I don't know if that question's too far. That's a, uh, well, I, left field, that, but. maybe that's one of the you know many amazing things about SVD is that you don't have to make any assumptions. So number one, you know, in mathematics, I like you know we usually say like multiplying things is pretty easy, but factorizing is hard. Like it's hard mm-hmm. to factor something. Right. But here in linear algebra, it's like oh things are really nice. You just have this <laughs> matrix and you get a factorization. That's pretty amazing. I think maybe to connect, um, like why why is that? to connect this with maybe um, something that's more familiar, we could ask, what are those singular vectors? Like, where do they come from? Or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, what's the proof sketch of this? Yeah. And essentially what you do, you take your matrix, you multiply it by its transpose. Okay. And that thing is gonna be, you know, like this nice real symmetric matrix, and that has eigenvectors. Yes. And so the eigenvectors of that matrix are actually the singular vectors of your original one. Now, depending on like if you multiply the, the transpose of the matrix on the left or right, that will determine whether you know you get the left or right singular vectors. So you might think that SVD is like second best. Oh, not every matrix is square, so we can't talk about eigenvectors. Oh, I guess singular vectors will have to do. But actually, it's it's like picking up on this nice you know spectral decomposition theorem that we like. And I I think you know when one looks out into the mathematical slash scientific slash engineering landscape and you see SVD sort of popping up all over the place, it's pretty ubiquitous. And so that sort of suggests it's not like a second class citizen. It's like really first class results. Yeah. Well, that's that's funny because I did when I was reading it, I was like, oh, I guess this is a nice consolation prize for not being like an invertible <laughs> square matrix is that yeah. you can do this thing. But you yeah. are you're telling me that that was that's not a good attitude to have about this. <laughs> well, yeah, I think SVD, you know, it's not I wouldn't think of it as a consolation prize. I think of it as quite something uh, really fundamental. 
you know, if, if you if you were to invite linear algebra onto this podcast and ask linear algebra what its favorite theorem is, just based on like the ubiquity and prevalence of SVD in nature, I'd probably bet linear algebra would say <laughs> singular value decomposition. <laughs> yeah. Can can we get them next? Can we get linear algebra on? We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So 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 here's here's sort of a, a, a maybe I don't know if this question has it must have an answer. So say your matrix is square in the first place. So you could talk about the eigenvalues and you do this. I assume the singular values are different from the eigenvalues. So what, what would be the advantage of choosing the singular values over the eigenvalues, for example? So I think if your matrix is square um, and symmetric or Hermitian, then the eigenvectors correspond to the singular vectors. Sure. OK, um, that makes sense. So yeah. But um, I, I don't have a good, that, that's a good question, Kevin. And I, I don't have a good answer that I could confidently go on record with. Okay, that's cool. Sorry. <laughs> that's I, I, a great question. A yeah. uh, well, because I mean, singular values are important. Um, the way I've always sort of heard it was that they, 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 they sort of act like eigenvalues in the sense that, you know, that you can line them up and that, 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 that they that the, the biggest one matters the most somehow. oh exactly right. exactly right exactly and in fact i mean that 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 sort of goes back to the proof that we were talking about i was mm -hmm. saying oh the singular vectors are the eigenvectors of this matrix mm -hmm. you know multiplied by its transpose right and the singular vectors turn out to be the square roots of the eigenvalues of that mm -hmm. square matrix that you got mm -hmm. so de they're definitely related yeah. okay all right very cool yep. <laughs> so what 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 drew you to this theorem? Like why why this theorem in particular? Yeah, why this theorem? So um, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I really like this theorem because it's very parallel to a construction in category theory. Yes. And, um, maybe people find that very surprising. We're talking about SVD, and all of a sudden, here's this category theory curveball. So yeah, because um, I really do feel like linear algebra is almost feels like some of the most tangible math and category <laughs> yeah. theory to me feels like some of the least tangible so, so wait oh, wait, wait are yeah. you going to tell us this is the yoneda dilemma for linear algebra no no <laughs> although although that was going to be my you know other favorite theorem <laughs> but sure. okay great so so i'm excited to to share this with you i think this is a really nice story yeah. so i'm going to try my best because it it can get heavy but i'm going to try to like keep it really light but that might you know I might omit details, but you know, people can maybe look further into this. So to make the connection and to keep things, uh, you know, relatively understandable, l let me just, you know, l let's forget for a second that I even mentioned category theory. So let's, you know, empty our brains of linear algebra category theory. And I just want to think about sets for a second. So let me just give a really simple, simple construction. Suppose we have two sets. Let's say they're finite for simplicity. And you know, I'll call them a set X and a set Y. And suppose I have a relation between these two sets, so a subset of the Cartesian product. And um, just for simplicity or you know, fun, let's think of the objects in my uh, sorry, the elements of the set X as objects. So maybe like you know, animals, cat, dog, fish, turtle, blah blah. And let's also think of elements in the set Y as features or attributes like has four legs, is furry, eats bugs, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay, now given any relation 
any subset of a Cartesian product of sets, you can always ask the following simple question. Um, suppose I have a subset of objects. You can ask, hey, what are all the features that are common to all of those objects in my mm -hmm. subset? So, you know, you can imagine in your subset you have an object. That object corresponds to a set of features, namely the ones possessed by that object. And now just take the intersection, you know, over all objects in your subset. That's a totally natural question you could ask. And you can also imagine going in the other direction and asking the same question. Suppose you have a subset of features and you want to know, hey, what are all of the objects uh, that share all of those features in that subset I started with? Totally natural question you could ask anytime you have a relation. Um, now this leads to a really interesting construction, um, namely if if someone you know if someone were to give me just any subset of objects and any uh, subset of features, you could ask, does this pair satisfy the property that you know these two sets are the answers to those two questions that I asked? Like I had my set of objects and oh, is this set of features that you gave me the only the ones corresponding to this set of objects and vice versa? Pairs of subsets for which uh, the answer is yes, that satisfy that property, they have a special name. They're called formal concepts. Mm. So you could imagine like, oh, the concept of, you know, house pet is like the set of all rabbits, cats, dogs, and like the features that they share. Is furry, sits in your lap, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so um, this is not a definition I made up. You know, you can go on Wikipedia and look at formal concept uh, analysis. This is part of that. Or you can usually find this in books on lattice theory and order theory. So formal concepts are sort of these nice things you get from a relation between two sets. Mm -hmm. Now, what in the world does this have to do with linear algebra, category theory, blah, blah, blah. So here's the connection. P probably you can see it already. Anytime you have a relation, that's basically a matrix. It's mm -hmm. a matrix whose entries are either zero and one. You can imagine a matrix where the rows are you know indexed by objects and the columns are indexed by your features and there's a one in the little x little y entry if that object has that feature in zero otherwise sure and it turns out that um these formal concepts that you get are very much like the eigenvectors of that zero one matrix multiplied by its transpose mm. um AKA, they're like the singular vectors of your relation. So I'm, I'm sort of saying it turns out, so I'm kind of asking you to believe me, um, <laughs> and I'm not giving you any reason to like see why that should be true. But it's sort of when you put pen to pa paper and you work out all of the details, you can sort of see this. Um, but I say it's like, because if you just do the naive thing, and think of your your uh, zero one matrix as a linear map, like as a linear transformation. You could say, okay, you know, should I view this as a matrix over the reals, or maybe I want to think of zero and one as you know the finite field with two elements. You know, uh, if you try to work out the linear algebra and say, oh, formal concepts are eigenvectors, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of see why that is. We started the conversation with sets not vector spaces. Right. So this formal concept story is not a story about linear algebra, i.e. the conversation is not occurring in the world of linear algebra. And so if you have mappings, you know, from sets of objects to sets of features, 
the kind of structure you want that to preserve is not linearity because we started with sets so we weren't talking about linear algebra so what is it turns out it's a different structure you know maybe for the sake of time um it's not really important what it is or if you ask me i'll be happy to tell you <laughs> but just knowing there's another kind of structure that you'd like this map to preserve and under that right sort of context when you're in the right context you really do see oh wow these formal concepts are really like eigenvectors or singular vectors in this new context now anytime you have a recipe or a template or a context but you can just sort of substitute out the ingredients for something else I mean, you like there's a bet that category theory is involved mm -hmm. and indeed that's the case. So it turns out that this mapping, this sort of dual mapping from objects to features and then going back features to objects, that's turns out is an example of an adjunction in category theory. Mm -hmm. So there's a way to view sets as categories and there's a way to view mappings between them as functors mm -hmm. and an adjunction in category theory is like a linear map and its adjoint, or like a, a matrix and its transpose. So in category theory, an adjunction um, is, is uh, let me say it this way, in linear algebra, uh, an adjoint is defined by an equation involving an inner product, mm -hmm. um, linear adjoint. There's like this special equation that right. your, your map and its adjoint must satisfy. And in category theory, it's very analogous. It's a functor that satisfies a an equation, quote unquote, that looks a lot like the adjunction, uh, adjoint equation in linear algebra. And so when you unravel all of this, you can sort of, it's almost like Mad Libs. You, you have like this <laughs> Mad Lib template. And if you erase, you know, the word matrix and substitute in the whatever categorical version of that should yeah. be, right. uh, you get like, uh, you know, the thing in category theory. But if you stick in matrix, oh, you get linear algebra. If you erase, you know, eigenvectors, you get formal concepts or whatever the categorical version of that is. But if you if you have eigenvectors, then that's linear algebra. So it's almost like this mirror world um, between the linear algebra that we all know and love. And like Evelyn, you were saying, it's totally concrete. But then if you just swap out some of the words, like you just substitute <laughs> some of the ingredients in this recipe, then you recover a construction in category theory. And I, I'm not sure if uh, it's well known I think uh, among the experts in category theory it is, but it's something that I really enjoy thinking about. And so that's why I like SVD. <laughs> so I, I think you may have had the unfortunate effect of me now thinking of category theory as the Mad Libs of math. <laughs> yeah. Category theory, there is just going and erasing whatever <laughs> like mathematical structure you had, replacing it with some other one. <laughs> well, but in some sense, that's what a category is supposed to do, right? I mean, it's supposed yeah. to be this, this big structure that, 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 that just captures some big idea that is lurking everywhere. And yeah. that's, that's really the beautiful thing and the, and the power um, of the whole subject. Yeah, and I and I really like this uh, little Mad Lib exercise in particular because it's kind of fun to think of singular vectors as analogous to concepts, which could sort of maybe explain why it's so ubiquitous throughout the scientific landscape because you have this matrix and it's sort of telling you like what goes with what. I have these correlations, maybe I organize them into a matrix or I have data or organize it into a matrix. And SVD sort of nicely collects the patterns or correlations or concepts in the data that's represented by your matrix. And, you know, I, I think Kevin, earlier you were saying um, like how singular values sort of 
convey the importance of things based on how big they are. Mm-hmm. And those things, I think, are a little bit like, you know, the concepts maybe. I don't know. That That's sort of uh, reaching far, but I think it's kind of a fun heuristic that well, I like to have in mind. I mean, the company you work for is very famous for exploiting singular values, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So uh, another fun part of this podcast is we ask our guests to pair their favorite theorem with something. So what pairs well with SVD? Okay, great question. I thought a lot about this, um, but I like had this idea and then scratched it off. And then I had another idea and then scratched it off. So here's what I came up with. Um, before <laughs> I tell you what I want to pair, pair this with, I should say for background reasons, um, this uh, you know, Mad Libs or, or ingredient swapping recipe type thing is a little bit mysterious to me because while the linear algebra is analogous to the category theory, the category theory doesn't really subsume the linear algebra. So usually when you see, you know, the same phenomena occurring a bunch of places throughout mathematics, you think, oh, there must be like some unifying thread, like clearly something is going on we need some language to, you know, tell us why do I keep seeing the same construction mm-hmm. reappearing? And usually, you know, category theory uh, lends a hand in that. But in this case, it doesn't. There, there's no, in other words, it's like I have two identical twins and yet they like don't, I don't know, come they were from separated the same birth. parents or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, exactly. They're like separated at birth, but you're like, oh, where are their parents? What's the thing that like, you know, where were they initially together? But I don't know that 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 hasn't been worked out yet. So it's a little bit mysterious to me. So here's what I'm going to pair SVD with. Okay. You know those dumb dumb lollipops? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the bank. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, just for listeners, that's D U M, not D U M B. I feel a little bit. Um. Anyway. Okay. So the dumb dumb lollipops, they have this mystery flavor, right? They do right which is like i i can't remember but i think it's like wrapped up with white wrapper with question marks yeah mm-hmm. and, yep. and you like you're you're letting it dissolve in your mouth and you're like mm, i don't really know what this is i think it's like blueberry and watermelon or i don't know who knows what this is okay so this so this um mystery that i'm i'm struggling to explain is a little bit like my mathematical dum dum lollipop mystery <laughs> flavor so you know i like to think of this as a really nice tasty mathematical treat but it's shrouded in this wrapper with question marks over it and i'm not quite really sure <laughs> what's going on but boy is it cool and fun to think about so <laughs> i like that yeah it's been it's been a while since i went to the bank with my mom which was my main source of dum-dum lollipops same, so, same. Yeah. exactly that's funny with my mom as well yeah that that's just how children obtain dum dums. <laughs> Can you even buy them anywhere? I mean, I, I think that might be the only place that they that they actually exist. I get wherever like banks, supply stores. I you know <laughs> you can get a big safe. You can get like those panic buttons for if there's a bank robber, and you can get dum dum lollipops. <laughs> this is what they sell. That's right. No, it must be possible to get them somewhere else though. Because when I was a kid, trick or treating uh, back in the seventies. 
you know, there would always be that cheap cup, that cheap family on the on the block that would either hand out bubble gum or or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or dum dums or even worse, candy corn. But let's let's. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. I I must admit, I I do enjoy candy corn. It it's not unlike eating flavored crayons, but I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, barely flavored, basically just sweet is the flavor. That's right. That's <laughs> Um, yeah, well, so actually this raises a question. I, I have not had a dum-dum in a very long time. And so is the mystery flavor always the same or do they just wrap up some normal flavor? And, oh, that's like, a good question. They like, it falls off the assembly line and they wrap it in some other thing. I, I never, I don't, I never paid enough attention. I also targeted the root beers mostly. So I didn't eat a whole lot of mystery ones because root beer. You and me. I was always for the root beer. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And butterscotch. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah. The the butterscotch are good. So I actually, I, Evelyn was asking that same question to myself just before we started recording. (laughs) So I did a quick Google, Google search. And I I think what happens, at least in some cases, like maybe in the past, and also don't quote me on this because I don't work at a dum-dum factory, but I think it was like, oh, when we're making the like, I don't know, cherry or butterscotch flavored ones. Um, but then like the next in line are going to be, uh, root beer or whatever. We're not going to like clean out all of the, mm. you know, whatever. So if people get like, you know, the transition flavor <laughs> from like one <laughs> one uh, recipe into the other, we'll just like slap on the mystery. I I, I don't know. Someone should you know, figure this out. Oh. I don't want to find out the answer because I love that answer. I don't want the possibility that it's wrong. I just want to believe in that. That is my Santa Claus. <laughs> and of course, now I'm thinking of, the, of those standard problems in the differential equations course where you're like, you're doing those mixing problems, right? So you've got, you've got Got, you know cherry or whatever and then you start to infuse it with the next flavor and so for exactly. a while there's going to be this stretch of you know varying amounts of the two and then finally it becomes the next flavor and exactly well like, can you quantify like what amount and like which which flavor dominates in some kind of eigen flavor uh, <laughs> eigen I, flavors I <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm really reaching here <laughs> i love that idea yeah oh man this that's yeah, I kind of want to eat dum-dums now. That's not one of my normal candies that I go to. I know. I haven't had them for years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, well we Time still go find some. We still have the leftover Halloween candy. So this is mm-hmm. so our, our we could tell our listeners what is this today? It's November what? 19th. 19th. Yeah. Right. So um yeah, we bought one bag of candy cuz we we never get very many trick or treaters anyway, and this year we had one small group and so we we bought a bag of mini chocolate bars or whatever. And uh, and it's fun. We have a two-story house. We have a balcony on the front of our house. So this group of kids came up, and we lowered candy from our balcony down. Uh, when I say we, I mean my wife. I was cooking dinner, but um, but we still have this bag. Uh, I just we're not candy eaters. Um, but but you're right. I'm I'm, I'm jonesing for a for a dum dum now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do need to go to the bank, but I feel a little cheap asking for one. Yeah, <laughs> what is, I feel like. You know, maybe 15, 16 is where you kind of start aging out of bank dum-dums. Sort of like trick-or-treating, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah. Well, anyway, (laughs) getting back back to math. um, Have we allowed you to say what you wanted to say about the singular value (laughs) decomposition? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I could talk for hours <laughs> about <laughs> SVD and all of the things, but I think, you know, for the sake of listeners, um, brains, I don't want to cause anyone to implode. I think I shared a lot. <laughs> Category theory can be tough. So, um, I mean, it, it appears, yeah, in, in lots and lots of places. Um, I, I originally started thinking of this because it cropped up in my thesis work, my PhD work, mm-hmm. which um, not only involved a mixture of category theory, but linear algebra for essentially things in quantum mechanics. And mm-hmm. so you actually see these uh, ideas appear in sort of, you know, quote unquote, real world physical scenarios as well, mm-hmm. which is why, again, it was kind of drawing me to this mystery. Like, wow, why does it keep appearing like in all of these cool places? What's going on? Maybe category theory has something to say about it. So just a yep. treat for me to think about. Yeah. And if our listeners want to find um, more about you and follow you online or anything, where can they look? Yeah, so they can look in a few places. Um, primarily, uh, my blog, Mathema, that's M-A-T-H-3-M-A.com, Mathema.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on Twitter, at Mathema as well, uh, Facebook and Instagram too. So all And what place. is your book? Please oh, yes. Plug right, your thank, book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Right, so I recently uh, co-authored uh, a book uh, it's a graduate level book on point set topology from the perspective of category theory. Mm. So the title of the book is um, Topology colon a categorical approach. And so this is uh, really we had in mind. Um, so I wrote this with John Trilla, who is my PhD thesis advisor, and Tyler Bryson, who is also a student of John at CUNY. And we really wrote this for, um, you know, if you're in a first semester topology course in your first year of graduate school. So basic topology, but we were kind of thinking, oh, what's a way to introduce category theory that's like sort of gentler than just, you know, blah, here's a book, read all about category theory. (laughs) So we we wanted to take something that people were, you know, probably already familiar with, like basic point set, maybe they learned that in undergrad or maybe from a real analysis course and saying, hey, here's things you already know. Now Mm -hmm. we're just going to reframe the thing you already know in sort of a different perspective. And oh, by the way, that perspective is called category theory. Look how great this is. So giving folks, you know, new ways to think and uh, contemplate things they already know and sort of welcoming them or inviting them into the world of category theory in that way. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So um, definitely check that out if you're interested in you. The way you said, like the wow, category theory. I the other day for some reason I was thinking about the ice bucket challenge from like oh, yeah. I don't know five or six years ago where people you know like mm-hmm. poured yeah. the ice on their head for all um, ALS research. I, you're also supposed to give money because pouring ice on your head doesn't actually help ALS research. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, this is an alternative to the ice bucket challenge of category exactly. theory. That, that's right. That's yeah. a great way to put it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This, yeah, this is really has been fun. great fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nibiknozdunk. That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.